0: Welcome to the Baptist Broadcast. I'm glad to be uh, back with everyone uh, today. I want to do a a video slash podcast episode that um, engages with, doesn't really respond. I'm not going to offer like a full fledged response to this content, Um, uh, but I wanted to engage with uh, Dr. Jordan Cooper's videos. About actually, it's his response to Gavin Ortland about baptism in the early church. Um, there, there are some things that uh, that Dr. Cooper said that were very um, insightful and and correct, and in his Dr. Cooper way of being super precise, which I've always uh, I've always appreciated. Um, he he makes some very important qualifications that I think uh, that I think needed to be injected into the conversation. Um, what, th- what he's responding to is uh, a video by uh, doc- uh, Dr. Gavin Ortland. Uh, and Gavin Ortland is a Baptist. Um, and what Ortland is doing is is he's he's trying to argue uh, for uh, credo baptism in the early church. Uh, his and one of his heaviest appeals probably was Tertullian, um, and so he's he's appealing to Tertullian, Tertullian's uh, uh, rebuttal against um, uh, Pado baptism. Tertullian actually did uh, at least attempt to rebut uh, paedobaptism baptism in the second century, and of course uh, the second century is uh, where most of the extant literature for. Pado baptism first shows up, okay, so so the earliest explicitly Pado baptistic literature is found really in the second century, and so, um, you know, Orland tries to, I think, make a quasi case for credo-baptism from the Fathers. Um, I don't, I don't really, I don't think that that is a good, is a good approach. Let me just, I'm, I'm, and I'm with Cooper on that, um, I, I don't think that it is a good approach or a, a, a responsible approach, and this means no disrespect to to Dr. Ortland, uh, to to try and prove Baptist sacramentology or Baptist doctrine of the ordinances, uh, especially as it relates to baptism, uh, to try and argue it from the earliest years of post-canonical church history. Uh, and, and I would say the same thing for Pado baptist actually. Um, now I, I don't know, you know, I think there, there has been a, I don't think, I know it's sitting on my back shelf over here, uh, a large volume that's around a thousand pages, just shy of a thousand pages, maybe somewhere around eight, between 800 and a thousand pages, uh, written by, uh, I believe it's Everett is his name uh that explores baptism in the early church and 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 he he does some very intellectually honest work in in speaking to the eclectic nature of the early church literature and by early church I mean post canonical early church literature that is all the literature that 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 um proceeds after uh the actual uh, New Testament um so uh, I, I and I and I stand in that in that kind of uh, line of thinking that when we're talking about baptism, I think that the habit has been, especially on the uh, you know in, in terms of the debate between Baptists and pado Baptists, is for both sides, either side, to go back and grab some figure or a group of figures from church history or a, a body of literature and say, look, here's my position here okay uh, and and I don't think that that is a responsible approach let me tell you why when you look at the Didak, the didac or the didache, is a very uh, tempting document for a Baptist to go to uh, it's a very early document and so for that reason it's a very very tempting document for the Baptist to go to and and to try and and prove a a a a, a Baptist early, doctrine of baptism. right and and it's basically baptists going back and, and pointing to the didache saying the here here are our baptists in the very earliest years of post canonical theological thought. um and they'll and they'll go back and they'll and they'll and they'll grab onto to something like the didache to do that. um and and um likewise a lot of a lot of Baptists, presbyterians lutherans roman catholics will go back to someone like uh Irenaeus and uh or or ignatius rather one of one of those two i'd have to look actually it's Irenaeus go back to Irenaeus and and try to pull infant baptism out of Irenaeus uh in the second century an, an oblique statement that he really makes in relation to infants being sanctified by christ so, um, and so uh the habit of both sides is to kind of go back and, and to grab onto these to these bodies of literature and say look My tradition is found there, and I think that's really telling that both sides are able to do that to one extent or another. The Baptists can go back to the Didache and say, "Look, the Didache has instructions on baptism, but it never says anything about infant baptism. Its instructions concern only baptism of catechumen, those who are uh, who have made a profession of faith and who are now um, being trained up in the doctrines of Christianity, so they know what they believe, and and then are going to be." baptized, right? Um and uh and and so the Baptist will go to the dedicate uh and say, look, here here is precedent for uh for a Baptist sacramentology. And then uh the Paedo Baptist uh may go to someone like Irenaeus and say, look, he says infants are are sanctified because of Christ and 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 Christ having been an infant at one time. Uh therefore, you know, there there is some precedent for our position. Uh, Baptists will often go and grab Tertullian. They'll say, "Look, Tertullian was—he, you know—we don't think that Tertullian was jumping outside of, uh, of, of church tradition." This is one of the arguments that Ortland actually makes. He's not jumping outside of church tradition because he likes church tradition too much. He appreciates the tradition of the church so much and apostolic Christianity so much that we know he wouldn't be doing that. So he must be standing in a, um, in a, in a kind of stream of thought that supports his doctrine of. Of baptism, which was credo baptistic, uh, even Doctor Cooper admits that Tertullian, you know, was re- was rebutting infant baptism. He was credo baptistic in terms of what he believed the final state of baptism should look like. Okay, his reasoning for getting there is, is very different, as Cooper points out in one of his most recent videos, um, is is very different from from how Baptists would would try and get there. Modern day Baptists would try and get there, um, and. I think it's very telling that both sides can go back and pick out these figures and these body bodies of work respectively to bolster their position. And you know the the really one of the things that you know Luther and some of the other magisterial reformers were trying to bring to light was the fact that the fathers contradicted themselves, and the reason they wanted to, it's not because they had any disregard for historical Christian orthodoxy. It's not because they hated the fathers or because they didn't believe in any sort or kind of tradition whatsoever, but it's because Roman Catholicism uh, elevated tradition, specifically church tradition, tradition found in the church, to the level of uh, inspired scripture in, in some respect. And so the reformers were were coming back to them and saying, look, you cannot make tradition uh equal as you know, equally authoritative alongside scripture. And the reason you can't do that is because scripture is infallible and it's obvious that tradition isn't. And uh, you can look back, for example, at the fathers and see that it isn't. They contradict each other. You know, you look at at, at the 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 writings in the first three centuries of church, and there, there are all sorts of different opinions on different things. And so there are contradictions in that general body of work. If you take the Antinocene, Nicene, and Post-Nicene fathers together, there's, there's a lot of unity on some very, very important things, but there's a lot of diversity on some other things. Um, one of the things that I would mention is, uh, you know, one of the one of the... You know, one of the areas of diversity and lack of unity seem to actually be in what in what baptism was, in some sense. Um, for example, you have in in uh, Clement, um, Second Clement, you know, this idea of keeping your baptism unstained, and so this, you know, your baptism is something that needs protected. Uh, And then in Ignatius to Polycarp, Ignatius thinks of baptism as armor, something that is defensive and something that protects us rather than us protecting our baptism. Our baptism protects us. And so there's some there's some subtle diversity in the in the church fathers like that, which led to the reformers saying, look, you cannot you cannot elevate church tradition to this level because there are contradictions in them when you yourselves and we as well would agree that in the scriptures there are no contradictions. Okay, so why am I why am I why am I saying that? The reason I'm saying that is that the the habit is for both Baptists and and uh, Pado Baptists is to to go back into history and try to find themselves somewhere in history. Um. And, like, we can do this to a degree, right? We can go back to the, to the 17th century, 16th century in some, in some cases as Baptists and say, look, there we are, right? And, and that's, that's perfectly valid, I think, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. When we, when we push back and we, and we go to the Middle Ages, the Middle Ages is a very difficult um, area for, especially for Baptists. Uh, difficult area for Reformed Presbyterians as well. Um, but if we push back even before that, we get really early. Say the first three centuries of the church, of the New Testament church, um, it's really, really hard, I think if we're honest historically, to find a great deal of unity on the subject of baptism. Um, and 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 that's a problem that's not attributable to scripture or to Christ's teaching or to the apostolic teaching on baptism. That is perspicuous, right? That's very clear. The problem is obviously with us, okay? So at at some point, there was someone who got it wrong. And we know that there was someone who got it wrong because all of the opinions concerning baptism in the first, second, third centuries cannot be right. One of them has to be right, and the others have to be wrong, okay? Um, But when you go back that far, what you find is a bunch of different views and a bunch of different articulations when it comes to baptism and the, and on the doctrine of baptism. So I don't even think that a Roman you know Roman Catholics and uh, and the Eastern Orthodox and the Lutherans to some extent try to go back and they try to claim those those earlier years of, of church history for their own. And, I, and and some Baptists try to do this as well. And I think what we need to do is we need to be honest and say there is there is a lot of eclecticism concerning, especially the issue of baptism. In the uh, in the in the early church, um, and that's something that Ortland doesn't seem to do. Uh, he he does he does do that. He does admit that there that there is that there is a disagreement that there's that there's not unity um, on this point in the early church concerning the extant literature, but uh, he 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 then tries to kind of. Build a positive case for the Baptist view of baptism, and and I just don't I, di- I don't think it, I didn't think it was a good approach. I, I I think it led to a lot of sloppiness, uh, and and a lot of reaching to be to be quite honest. I think instead, what we can do is, as Baptists, and I think and I think we can do this because I think really, every other tradition, as it's contemporarily seen, that is as as we know it today, I think they have to do this too. So I think as Baptists, what we, what we should be able to do is we should be able to sit back and look at the witness of history and admit that there is indeed some eclecticism with regard to baptism in the first three centuries of the church. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think all that means is that with regard to baptism, we cannot build our case off of historical theology. That's that's all that means. And and all it means, and I think the Reformers understood this, and I think the post-Reformed understood this, all that means is that we need to be building our doctrine of baptism off of the Scriptures, rather than going to church history as a chief witness uh, to bolster our sacramentology. All right, that's all that means. So I'm, I'm not saying that the church was lost. I'm not saying that, like, you know the, the the early Christians, the first three centuries of Christians, had no idea what was going on with regard to baptism. I just think that the that the literature that we have extant today doesn't give us doesn't show us what that unified view was. I think there probably was a unified view, uh, and there probably there probably was a there probably was a uh, majority view in terms of what should happen for baptism uh, and 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 who the rightful candidates were, et cetera. And obviously as a Baptist, I would, I and this, but this has to be speculation, right? Because again, the extent literature is not there, but as a Baptist, I would say the, the norm would have been credo-baptism. I think that would have been the majority view. Um, now you get up into the second century and because of the association that occurs between the, between the first and third centuries, really, the The association that occurs between baptism, water baptism, and regeneration, what you get in the second century is is the beginnings or and this is all from the extant literature i you know i don't I can't know for certain what was going on at that time. I can only know what the extant literature gives me and and it's and and I think because of the the linkage and the way that uh baptism was being associated with regeneration, the inward work of the spirit, that gave way to pedo-baptism, and I think that that started happening in the second century. Again, I say I think that's what started to happen, because that's, that's what we have, right? That's the evidence that we have available to us. Um, so the doctrine of baptismal regeneration happened first, and then, and then pedo-baptism. It seems like a logical consequence, really, um, if 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 baptism is indeed either in the roman catholic sense ex opere operato in virtue of the work work if it's regenerative or even if it's if it's a means where, through which god necessarily regenerates the subject of baptism then it would seem like a then it would just seem like a natural conclusion to baptize your infant right i mean you want them to be regenerated and if that's what happens in baptism then you baptize your infant and so it you know, one, one gave way to the other. And I think that's what's happening. I'm not going to say I'm certain that that's what happened. Uh, I don't think it's good, for example, to point to Tertullian and say, look, Tertullian was a Baptist, and then claim that guy as, as kind of some early stalwart of Baptist orthodoxy. It, that's not what was happening. That's not what Tertullian was doing. The way that Tertullian got to where he got was very different. The presuppositions behind his doctrine of credo-baptism is very different um and divergent from from like for example the second london confession of faith uh, right the assumptions made behind that doctrine of baptism um so i don't think that it would be wise to just go back and grab a hold of some figure in the early church especially tertullian um who who had all sorts of interesting uh theological views um and eventually probably ended up identifying with the montanists at least to some extent there uh, later on in life. Um, so, I, you know, just if you just take the body of literature that we have now, it looks like what happened was there was a close association pretty early on, we have to admit, first, second century, early second century, maybe at the latest, a very close association of regeneration and baptism that happened. And then it looks like with the development of that came... The development of infant baptism, just not very much later. Okay, um, so uh, again, don't 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 be taking me to to say I you know I know for certain this is what happened. It's just if you follow the the thought of the literature, if if the extant literature, you know, just going by if the extant literature actually or accurately represents what was going on um, with the majority of Christians at that at that time, then I th- I think that that's what happened. Um, and and so as a as a baptist i would obviously say that, that that there was a that there was a traditional view of and a and probably a a, a normalized view of baptism that would have been credo baptistic uh, i th- i think the design of the baptistries in the early church kind of show us this this idea that you know they would lay back in a cross uh, they would make the shape of a cross and lay back showing their identity or their unity with christ and 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 and, and you know I, so i think that i think that there is some indication that credo baptism would have been the norm uh, again you look at the didache and again i'm not trying to say that it's a baptist document or anything like that but it would seem that if it's going to go through pains to give instructions on baptism uh, then it would have at least footnoted infants in there somewhere and and it doesn't do that at all it's, it it only addresses catechumen. Um and so it's it's very interesting that even if even if you were to come back at that and say, well this is a document that is that is for catechumen. That's the whole context of the document. It's it's just interesting that it doesn't even footnote infants in there anywhere. Uh even though these catechumen probably would have been parents and probably would have needed to know what to do with their infant. Right? So there's there, there's nothing about infants in there at all. And I and I just I take that to mean if you're just doing the work of a historian and 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 believing what we have, you know, believing uh, the extant evidence instead of speculating that even in the absence of evidence there is something indeed there, just taking the evidence for what it is. I, I think that the that the silence actually speaks volumes. Um. So and again, I'm not I'm not even saying that you know the there are some things in the Didact that I don't think. You know, with regard to baptism, that paragraph there on 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 baptismal instructions and the mode of baptism and things like that. I don't think some of that stuff comports with even a, a you know a reformed or particular Baptist understanding of baptism. Uh, so you know, I, I'm definitely not trying to appropriate the Didache as as a Baptist document. and I want everybody to know that. But you have to just take an honest look at the literature and say, okay. This is what was present according to the extant literature at this time. And this is what was not present, again, according to the extant literature at said time. And now, so Ortland, I think, makes a sloppy argument. He's trying, to, he's trying to, to appropriate some of that history for his own tradition, as his tradition looks today. and But, you know, Cooper kind of also tries to do the same thing a little bit. Uh, and and identify Lutheran traditions somewhat. I, I don't want to accuse him of doing this in some kind of full fledged, uh, hasty, sloppy manner because I, I I actually don't think he was sloppy in in what he was trying to say. But I I did get a a tinge of of trying to appropriate that history for his own and for his own tradition. I don't think I don't think he can do that. I don't even think Roman Catholics can do that or or the Eastern Orthodox. I I don't I don't think we can. I think it's okay to say that there was. An eclectic approach to baptism in the early church, and that not everybody was right. I think it's okay to to say that in terms of historical theology, it's very very difficult to pin down what was going on in those in those first few centuries. Um, and 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 to and, and to see that, you know, and the, and there were other issues. You know, there were. Uh, it's not as if you know they they got the gospel wrong. It's not as if they they got you know. I'm there were some that got the gospel wrong, obviously. But it's not as if the whole gospel was lost. It's not as if everything was just lost in the sauce immediately after the canon closed, you know, and, and nobody knew what to do. We have to remember also that the canon wasn't always, like, the entirety of the New Testament canon, the first three centuries of the church, wasn't always highly circulated and wasn't available for everyone at all times and in all places. We have to remember that. They're not walking around with their KJVs and New King James or ESVs their NASs or whatever. Uh, you know, these these a lot of churches probably didn't even have completed New Testament canons. Um, okay, so we have to we have to admit that. So we have to admit that that Christianity expanded very quickly, and um and 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 people were saved by virtue of hearing the word preached and the Spirit working their heart, and they didn't necessarily have access to all the scriptures at that time, and so. You know, when you when you're coming to a a positive law like baptism, it's it's not uh, necessarily a I don't think a problem to say that well some people got it wrong, right? Some people got it wrong, so it, out of, whether it be out of ignorance or some you know malicious intent or, or or heresy. Some people got some things wrong in the early church, so we can't build a, a doctrine off of historical theology. And I think when we try to go back and find figures to appropriate. Within the own, within our own stream of tradition, uh, then we then we run the risk of actually trying to build or bolster our, our doctrine from that period in church history. It's very obscure, very uh, very difficult to hammer a lot of things down uh, in those first three centuries. Um, and what we have to remember is that you know one of the pr- one of the promises that Jesus made with regard to the church is that he would build his church. Uh, Jesus didn't say that you know as soon as I ascend to the right hand of my Father uh, and Pentecost comes and the apostles go out and in the, you know and in that flow and transmission of information of the gospel from one person to another that the church is just going to plop down out of heaven perfect and ready to go. He never said that. He said he's going to build his church. All right, and you know you th- you think you think there's some there's something analogous between the individual. Uh and, and the individual's progress in sanctification and the spirit's work in the individuals. And when we become Christians, we don't immediately have all Christian theology downloaded into our minds, right? We don't that's not how it works. Uh we know the essentials, and then we undergo a learning process from that point on that sometimes takes an entire lifetime, right? The case of people who are saved early on. Um and 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 we don't uh, we don't we don't we don't have perfect knowledge of everything at once. Um, I think I think the early church, the infant church, is is analogous to that. Um, I think Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, uh, and and gave the apostles everything they needed in a sufficient manner. They were led by the Holy Spirit to write infallibly. Uh, down the things that that Christ revealed to them. and then you have the New Testament canon and now uh, there are a bunch of fallible Christians walking around um, doing their best by the grace of God to 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 read and understand, to live according to according to God's Word. And so it's not a fault in God's word. it's a it's a fault in the reader. Right And, and there, are, there are tons of little faults like that that happened throughout history. The amazing thing is, is that after 2,000 years, we can definitely look back and say there is a Catholic church, Catholic little c. Uh, in terms of there is this one faith, there is one baptism in the sense there's only baptism into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's only one union with Christ. There's only one Christ. There's only one Gospel, and we can look back and we can we can actually see that preserved, right throughout throughout the the centuries. It's just a, a testament to 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 God's providence and the fulfillment of Jesus' promise that He would indeed build His church. But it's no surprise that you know, for example, in the, in the first three centuries of the church that. It was eclectic in terms of its approach to the ordinance of baptism. I think the same is is true um, in some regard to the Lord's Supper. I think the same is true in terms of the intricacies of soteriology and and things of that nature. I don't think everybody just instantaneously got it right just because they were closer to the apostles. right? I think the apostles had it right. Um, I think they had everything that they taught on. They taught on infallibly in, in, in terms of what actually in, ended up in the scripture. Um, but, you know, we have to remember that the people whom they taught were fallible. The people who the apostles taught were fallible, right? And we're their descendants. And, um, and so we, we just have to humbly approach church history, not try to build our entire corpus of theology or our doctrine of baptism off of the first three centuries of history, and if anyone tries to claim the high ground, the, the traditional or historical high ground, by appealing to those first three centuries of history, I just think they don't have the ammunition. They just the ammunition's just not there. Dr. Cooper, you know, talked about in his video how there's just really not that much written, and uh, you know, in turn, in the in the first in the first three centuries of the church, especially as regards baptism, there's just not that much compared to you know what we have. On other doctrines and refutations of heresies and things of that nature, we just don't have a whole lot on on baptism. So you know, we we have to do the work of of getting back to the text of Scripture. Uh, we have to get to to work on on uh, really uh, trying to uh, you know bolster our our doctrine of baptism, whatever it may be, um, by appeal to the Scriptures and not and not fall into the to the habit of just appealing to certain early figures in church history, so we could just do that all day. Uh, and it's not wrong to like get a secondary opinion from church history, right? But even even then, I mean, if you're talking about the first three centuries the church, very difficult, very difficult to find any kind of consensus. Maybe the consensus you could find would be the mode. I think immersion and pouring were the consensus of the early church. I think even. I think even sprinklers would admit that uh, those who have studied uh, the early church and their mode of baptism is that it was, it was immersion and, and pouring. So anyway, I I don't want to go too long here again. I, I didn't want this to really be like a, uh, a, a polemical response to uh, Cooper's videos. I think a lot of them were really good. They, um, uh, they covered a lot. Of course they're a, they're like an hour a piece. Um, and I think his criticism of the way that Ortland tried to bolster believers' baptism was valid. Uh, I, and I would have, in many, in many ways, the same criticism. I just don't think that it is wise for anybody, Pado baptist or baptist, to go back to those three centuries of church history and say, look, Here's my tradition here, as I know it today. You're just not going to find it there. If you want to argue your position, go to the scriptures, and uh, and for a second opinion, maybe go to the uh, to the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries, and and look at the argumentation from Baptists and Paedo Baptists. There you're going to find a very robust uh, body of work there in terms of Paedo Baptist literature between the Lutherans and the and the Reformed and the Baptist literature as well. So. Uh, I think that's where I think that's where we should go and then and then kind of develop their biblical theology that, that 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 we find in those in those later three centuries of church history, rather than just trying to go back to these these first three centuries of church history and a, as if they are some special you know era where everybody was right and on the same page because it's just not the case. So anyway, God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your evening. Hopefully this is helpful to you. And if it is, Give me a share and a thumbs up. And don't forget to click the little bell for notifications after you subscribe to my channel. God bless. Have a wonderful day.